In just a few moments, we're going to be reading together from the Old Testament book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 21. And I invite you to open or turn on a Bible, get it back in your Old Testament to 1 Chronicles 21. If you're following along in a paper Bible, you might mark that. We will use that as our launching point and come back to it off and on throughout the morning. While you're turning back to 1 Chronicles 21, let me echo the welcome Thank you for being here. How much we have to be thankful for on such a beautiful, beautiful day outside. We have been reading from 1 Chronicles here recently in our daily Bible reading schedule. Not the easiest book of the Bible to read. Several of you have shared that sentiment with me over the course of the last few weeks. I'd like to reach back with you if you were following along You read this with us on Thursday. If you didn't, we're glad that you're here. And if you have time today, later on today, 1 Chronicles 21 would be a great chapter to get a larger picture of what we're talking about this morning. But whether you've read it or not leading up to this morning, I think you can relate to what we will be talking about throughout our time in God's Word together this morning. What does it cost? It's not an uncommon question to ask. What, what do you mean when you ask what something costs? Well, what, what you're asking is, what am I going to have to pay? What is the price that I'm going to have to give over in order to acquire that? I I see that and I would like to, to have it. What does it cost? Or from the standpoint of business, we would like to produce something or to accomplish something. Okay, it's a It's one thing to have an idea or a dream, some sort of a goal in mind, but what is it going to cost to actually accomplish that? Or we bought it and now we have it, but we have to maintain it. What is it going to cost to maintain that? All that we mean by that very commonly used word or phrase is that there's a price that has to be paid. Sometimes that price is very literal in nature. We can read about that, for instance, in the Old Testament book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 6, there is a, a king that has issued a decree that the house of God, the temple of God that was at Jerusalem, it needs to be rebuilt. Sacrifices need to be reinstituted. Foundations need to be retained. And, and that's going to cost something and so in Ezra chapter 6 and verse 4 the king decrees let the cost be repaid from the royal treasury sometimes the price paid is very literal in nature you go out to eat today and there is a literal price attached to the serving of that meal to you. But sometimes it's figurative in nature. We're not talking dollars and cents or 
shekels and denarii, but what we are talking about is, is costly. We read about a, a rebellion in Numbers chapter 16 and verse 38 against God's people, His appointed leaders. And this sad summary in Numbers 16, 38 tells us that these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives. Sometimes it's literal, sometimes it's figurative, but either way it is costly. I'd like to reach back to 1 Chronicles 21, if you have your Bibles open there, with that simple principle in mind, and notice a wonderful attitude with you this morning. It's an attitude that I need to have this week. It's an attitude that I would encourage you to focus on this morning and adopt as your own this week. 1 Chronicles 21 starts off on a, a really ominous note. We're in the reign of King David. He's a, a man after God's own heart, but he's, he's far from perfect. He has been a warrior throughout his life. Now, in many ways, he is a, a builder of this kingdom in Israel. But 1 Chronicles 21 and verse 1 tells us, then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. We're, we're going to take a census. We want to know exactly how many people. David specifically wants to know how many people are armed. How many soldiers does he have under his reign and so he goes to Joab the the commanders of the army and he says in verse 2 go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan we would say from south to north and bring me a report that I may know their number and our chronicler doesn't tell us exactly what's going on in David's mind. Conspicuously absent is a command of the Lord to do this. Uh, perhaps it's his own pride, his, his own ambition. I want to know how many people I am able to command. And, and Joab, his right-hand military man, not always the most godly-minded man. But even Joab says in verse 3, May the Lord add to His people a hundred times as many as they are. Are they not, my Lord the King, all of them my Lord's servants? Don't, don't they all serve you? Why then should my Lord require this? Why should it be a cause of guilt for Israel. One way or another, Joab knows this, this isn't a great idea. David says, do it anyway. Uh, Joab discovers that there's more than a, a million and a half men at David's disposal ready to draw the sword if commanded. It's a, an impressive census that is taken but you look at verse 7 God 
God was displeased with this thing. And he struck Israel. And it's a fascinating chapter to read because of the way God chooses to respond. The way God chooses to discipline, humble this man after his own heart. Essentially, God, through the prophet, gives David three choices. David, you get to choose what happens next. Either three years of famine or three months of devastation by your surrounding foes or three days of the sword of the Lord spreading pestilence throughout the land. It's it's not good news and David cries out that he would much rather fall into the hands of the Lord than to fall into the hands of his enemies. And 70,000 men in Israel fall. David sees the angel of the Lord there in Jerusalem. You can read all about it in this chapter. He he humbles himself before God. He, He finds out that there's a man who owns this piece of land where the the pestilence has stopped. And and David wants to build an altar to the Lord. This, This is a time to humble himself. This is a time to give everything that he has to give to God. And so he comes to this man named Ornan and says, I'd like to buy this. I'd like to buy it for full price. And Ornan says, you don't need to do that. I'll give it to you. I'll give you everything you need for the sacrifices. I'll give you the animals for the sacrifices. And it's First Chronicles 21, specifically verse 24, that I'd like to camp with you at this morning. First Chronicles 21, verse 24. Ornan has offered to give it all to David, but King David, verse 24, said to Ornan, No, but I will buy them for the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings, that cost me nothing. You might keep your hand there or marker there in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. Open with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 7. Could I really encourage you to look into the mirror of God's Word this morning? Let's think together from the, the outset of our time in God's Word together about three foundational principles we all need to see and understand. These are three foundational principles I need to carry with me this week. Three foundational principles I'd encourage you to carry with you wherever you go, wherever life takes you this week. Foundational principle number one. Forgive the double negative, but it gets the point across. Sin never costs me Nothing. Sin never costs me nothing. Now maybe like the children of Israel, I choose to think of it as being like that, especially when I'm 
really craving something or, or really feeling as if I deserve something. Maybe I'm like the, the children of Israel in the, the wilderness who grumbled to Moses in Numbers chapter 11. You know, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt that, that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. You can hear their hunger and thirst talking, drowning out their their reasoning minds, right? They were slaves in Egypt. What do you mean that didn't cost you anything? It cost you everything. You were not your own. Sin never costs me nothing. If your Bible is open there to Proverbs chapter 7, we've got it laid out for us. This naive young man. We'll jump right into the middle of the story. You can read the larger, powerful principle that sin never costs nothing throughout Proverbs 7. For right now, this young man is naively wandering down the road and he is tempted with someone who does not belong to him to do something that he has no right to do. Verse 22, all at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare. He's being tempted by another man's wife Tempted to do what he knows is out of bounds. Not just by that woman's husband, but by his own creator. And yet he goes. Not knowing, not realizing that this will cost him his life. And then Solomon looks at us and says, Now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throne. Her house is the way to Sheol, to to the grave, to where the dead are, going down to the chambers of death. What's the point of Proverbs chapter 7? Sin never costs me nothing. No, those children of Israel back in Numbers were physical slaves. Sin makes us spiritual slaves. And the problem is not with God. The problem is not with His good will for humankind. No, as Paul summarizes in Romans chapter 7 and verse 14, the law is spiritual. The law is telling us what is right. The law is laying down boundaries and providing warnings and encouragements for our good. The problem is you and I and every human being who has ever lived at some point or another chooses to follow the flesh above the will of God. And what happens? Sin never costs me nothing. I become, you become, sold under sin. Foundational principle number one. Sin never costs me nothing. Go with me a little deeper in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2 where we'll read in just a few moments. 
The reason we are gathered here today, the reason we have sung what we have sung and observed what we have observed together, the reason we have communed together in observing the giving of our Lord's body and our, our Savior's blood is, yes, sin never cost me nothing, but 2,000 years ago, the price for our sins was paid. Why have we spent time together this morning? Why are disciples of Jesus all over the world on this, the Lord's Day, observing what the New Testament refers to as the Lord's Supper? Well, it goes all the way back. To on the eve of his crucifixion, Jesus looking his followers in the eye, taking unleavened bread, giving things, breaking it, giving to them and saying, this is my body which is given for you. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant, a new way of having a new relationship with my Father in heaven. And it's coming at the cost of my blood. Sin never costs nothing. God's own Son shed His blood, gave His body, so that, is your Bible open there to 1 Timothy chapter 2? You begin reading with me Paul's words in verse 3 where he, he powerfully shares with us, this is good, it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved. Could I encourage you to carry that with you out of the doors of, of this building this morning? Every single person you come in contact with, God desires all people to be saved. God desires all people to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wills that everyone would recognize there is one God. Sin never costs nothing, but God provided a mediator. The one willing to pay the cost for my sins. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself, look at the language in verse 6. Why did Jesus die? Lots of ways to answer that question. Here's one, as a ransom, to pay the price. To pay the cost. For all. And that is a testimony that began to be proclaimed 2,000 years ago. A testimony that needs to continue to be proclaimed in every corner of the world today. Open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 14. Three foundational principles we all need to see and understand. Sin never costs me nothing. Nearly 2,000 years ago, the price for our sins was paid, but here is Jesus, the payer of the price, the ransomer of sinners, and he has something to say to us today. 
You know, I don't know about you, but I'm always intrigued when I need to acquire something or maintain something. If, if, if Maybe there are a variety of subscription plans, a variety of different payment options, but you know, every once in a while you hear, well, there is a free option. Well, I think I'll take that one. Especially if I want to give it a try, right? You know, I'm not sure I, I want to dive headlong into a really serious commitment. Maybe a trial option that would be free. Well, that may work with cable and grocery delivery and things like that. But let's listen to the Son of God. As he communicates to all of us this morning, there's no such thing as a cost-me-nothing discipleship plan. In fact, some of his most serious, sobering words are along that line. Beginning in verse 25 of Luke chapter 14, when great crowds accompanied him and he turned and he wanted to talk to them about the cost. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I don't know about you, but I think he would have my attention at that point. Pretty sure I've never heard anybody talk like that before. But he's not done. Whoever does not bear his own cross, an instrument of execution. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? Whether he has enough to complete it, otherwise when he has laid a foundation and he's not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So, therefore, illustrations over, Jesus says, let me make it really evident, really clear to you. Any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You, you see, there's, there's not a discipleship plan where I can put any human relationship ahead of Jesus. There's not one for the really committed. I'm seeking Him first. His kingdom above all. And you know, I, I, I want to be a Christian, especially if all of this is true. I, I want to be on His side. But Jesus, I, I got to be honest with you. There are people who mean more to me than you. There's not a discipleship plan where I get to say, well, I'm all in for Jesus, but I want X or Y or Z more than I want Him. 
There is most certainly not an, a discipleship plan where I get to say, I'm, I'm on team Jesus, but when push comes to shove, I'm the one driving the bus of my own life. I got to come first. I got to make sure this makes sense to me. You know, this cost-benefit analysis thing doesn't get too far out of whack. No, sin never comes at the cost of nothing. And Jesus paid. What incredibly good news this morning. He already paid the price. I owe for my sins. But He's calling me to follow Him. Would you go back with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 21 before we're done? Could we apply David's heart, his attitude in 1 Chronicles 21 verse 24 to the heart of discipleship? If, if there is no such thing as cost me nothing discipleship, what can I learn here? Number one, I and all that I am, all that I have, all that you can be, I am for the Lord. Do you believe that today? Are you willing to live like that this week? That, that's our calling. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Or This is the way Jesus put it in his own words. When asked what the, the greatest commandment of all is, he, he summarized in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. I, all that I am, all that I have, all that I can be, I'm for the Lord. Number two, Jesus is calling me to follow a, a specific trail. And if that trail had a name, I'd suggest to you a pretty good option is love your neighbor as yourself. That's the path he's calling me to travel. That's what David realizes he can't do in 1 Chronicles 21. I can't take what is yours. This is my sacrifice to make. And so Jesus says, you love the Lord your God with everything that you have and everything that you are. And in Matthew 22, a second great commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Could we maybe find some passage of Scripture that would help us understand what it's going to cost to love my neighbor as myself? Maybe Philippians chapter 2. Where the Holy Spirit leads the Apostle Paul to say, Look at what God has done. And if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Sin never costs me nothing, but the price has been paid 
for my sins. What now? Don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. That sounds costly. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's going to take some time. It's going to take some willingness to stop gazing at myself. But you see, this is the path. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What price did He pay? He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself to the point of death. Even death on a cross. And now he's calling me to follow. Why? Because along the way, I'm not exempt from the call to offer sacrifices. You know, one thing to go back and read that historical account of David and think, well, you know, I, I see what's going on there, but, you know, this idea of building altars and, 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 and offering animals, you know, that, that's come and gone. Careful with that. In fact, what you and I are called to offer is more costly. David recognized in Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17, when I am in the wrong, when I'm alienated from God, in fact, what God is not looking for first is just another animal. What God is looking for is a broken spirit. Why? Because sin never costs me nothing. God is looking for a broken and a contrite heart. That's what he won't despise. And even after I've recognized my desperate need for him, listen, this is not a one-time thing that I throw in God's direction. This is life. There is no such thing as a cost-me-nothing discipleship plan. No, this is what the plan sounds like. Don't be conformed to this world. Verse 2. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So that by testing, I might discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, all of that sounds good. Well, how do I do that? Where does it start? Verse 1. You present yourself. As a living sacrifice to God. What God really isn't looking for is another song that will kind of put me over the hump. Or another observance of the Lord's Supper that now will present to me green, straight, easy paths for the rest of my life. Those things God has given me for my good. What He's looking for is me. What He's looking for is you. Oh, what he's looking for is the sort of things 
we've involved ourselves in on this first day of the week, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Let's remember who He is and whose we are and then leave here as sacrifices. Not neglecting to do good, but to share what, what we have because that is what is pleasing to the Lord. But a whole lot of my success is going to determine, be determined by whether or not I, I pay attention. Have you ever thought about the power of that little phrase? You have a finite amount of attention this morning. You have a finite amount of attention that you can give to anything today. You have a very limited amount of attention that you can give to anyone or anything this week. Which is why Jesus in Luke chapter 17 said, You better pay attention to yourselves. What impact is your life having on the people around you? It's why the Spirit of God led the writer of the Hebrews letter to say, pay attention to what you've heard. That's why those in positions of leadership in Acts chapter 20 were told, pay careful attention to yourselves and those whom you are leading. And that most certainly applies to shepherds in the context of a local church. But dad and mom, that also applies to you at home. Those of us who have influence and examples, that, that, that applies to the way we live this week. What will have my attention? And am I willing to pay attention to the one who matters most of all? Because let's end in Philippians chapter 3. If you'll turn your Bibles back there to Philippians chapter 3. Every single thing it costs to follow Jesus will be completely overshadowed one day by what Paul describes as the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, of attaining the resurrection from the dead. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7, Paul very personally says, that which was gain for me, I counted as loss. Following Jesus came at a cost. Paul says, no regrets. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own, I brought the cost on myself by my sins. But I have faith in Christ. And this is God's plan to make me and you and anyone righteous on the basis of faith that I might know Christ and the power of His resurrection and might share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. There is no such thing as a cost-me-nothing discipleship plan. But whatever it costs, if by any means possible I can attain the resurrection from the dead, 
no regrets. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. I, I, I press on to make it my own. What's he talking about? A determination to finish what was started. I'm pressing on to make it my own. Brothers, I, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but this is the one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. There's a cost. The cost of our very selves. But every single thing it costs me to follow Jesus will one day be completely overshadowed by the surpassing worth of attaining the resurrection from the dead. No, David said. I'll buy what I need to build this offer and offer sacrifices to God for the full price. I'm, I'm not going to take for the Lord what is yours. I'm not going to offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Interestingly, that is the place, that threshing floor of Ornan where David in the very next chapter some of you read it on Friday that's the place where David said this is where we're going to build the temple in a couple of weeks we'll read how Solomon in 2nd Chronicles 3 verse 1 says this is where I'm going to build the temple and about a thousand years after all of that happened That's where the Lamb of God gave His life. Paid the price for my sins, for your sins, and for the sins of all the world. Now He's calling people. He continues to call even this very morning. Call people to follow Him. Before we sing this invitation song, could I just give voice to... To his words in Matthew 16. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So we're going to stand and sing, have you counted the cost? That cost that Jesus is talking about right there. Maybe for the very first time you've come face to face with how serious your disregard for God really is. And you want to know what you can do. And all that we would do is point you to the Bible answer. That was preached in Jesus' name in Acts chapter 2. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. The price has been paid. It's time to start following him. Maybe what you could use as a follower of Jesus this morning is prayers.
encouragement, accountability. Have you counted the cost? If this invitation is provided to you by your Father in heaven, and you choose to go a different way. There is such good news this morning. And if we can help you in responding to it in any way, shape, or form this morning, would you let us know how we can help you by coming to the front while we stand and sing to encourage each other?